أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم وبه نستعين ثم الصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين وعلى أهل بيته الطيبين الطاهرين المعصومين أما بعد My respected brothers and audience السلام عليكم جميعا ورحمة الله وبركاته Welcome to Al-Hadi Youth, the um, Friday Night Baraza Corner and this is also being recorded as the um, Al-Hujjat uh, podcast as well um, and we are honoured this evening to have Brother Miqdad Versi with us and we really thank him for being able to come along um, and share this Friday night with us where we'll be talking about the issues of Islamophobia in the media and we'll be talking about um, Muslims in politics and how Muslims can actually make a difference in the political world such that they can actually make a change for the better. So I don't think uh, Miqdad needs too much introduction but um, it befits us to be able to read his bio and be able to make sure that we're aware of some of the brilliant work that Miqdad is doing. So I'll read that and then uh, I'll just introduce um, a little bit about what we're going to be doing inshallah. So Miqdad Versi is a head of public affairs for the Muslim Council of Britain leading on integration and national security. He acts as a media spokesperson with appearances on BBC Newsnight, Channel 4 News and all the main news channels. He also writes frequently for The Guardian, Independent and New Statesman and is a trustee at the human rights organization Rights Watch UK whose mission is to promote just and accountable security. He was called the man correcting stories about Muslims by the BBC given his work correcting false stories about Islam and Muslims in the mainstream media. He organizes weekly programs for his local mosque and is a director of the project team for the Salam Center, a new community center that aims to fulfill the holistic needs of the wider society. So basically he doesn't do that much and uh, you know he's pretty free most evenings to come and hang out with us is what, what we're saying. Miqdad, Salaamu Alaikum. Thank you very much for joining us this evening. Welcome. I should also add that um, you know I, I'd like to think that in your bio that it says that we are friends as well. So that, that should be a shout out there. So um, I think it's really great that you're joining us. One of the things that we really want to be doing is helping our community, which has had in some ways in regards to politics a narrower experience. And I think that the, the generation, our generation, the upcoming generation, they're in a position where they cannot escape from politics um, just because of the way the world is now. And more and more frequently, we're beginning to see things about politics come from the pulpit. We're thinking about our role as a community in politics. Um, and I think that's really one of the drivers that has made sure that we invite you know, someone of your caliber to be able to give us some guidance on how we can, as a community, develop our youth so that we actually have a better participation um, in the political sphere. So I want to ask you if you can say a few words, introduce um, what you'd like to talk to us about and then <clears throat> I'm going to try to open up the floor and also I'm going to have some questions for you and uh, inshallah we can put you through your paces with some of your ideas. So over to you. Thank you very much. I think that one of the biggest things that we need to understand for ourselves is our position in the society we live and how the wider society sees us. I mean, as Muslims, it's 22 hours. And Muslim, as Muslims, we are obviously members of the society. We have a duty towards uh, our fellow human beings who are either our brothers or sisters in, in faith or our equals in humanity. 
as the Islam says. And, and we, as part of the society that we live in, have to realize the failures that we have had in, in, in the way that we are perceived. At, at the time of the Prophet it was very clear. His akhlaq was known by everybody. His, uh, you know, he was known to be someone of, of, of truthfulness. But when it comes to Muslims today, that's not the case. Right now, depending on which poll you look at, half the population think that Islam is a threat to the Western liberal democracy. Or a third, or just over a third, think it's a, a threat to the British way of life. You wonder, like, why, where is this coming from? Why do people think that we're such a, such a threat or a, a challenge to the, to the society that we live in? In a negative sense, because of the words it's used. Why is it the case that um, a, third of them, a third of the population believe these cons- conspiracy theories about Muslims? The idea that, for example, that these no-go zones where non-Muslims can't enter. It's not true, it's not real, but these far-right individuals have these views. Why do they have these views about Muslims? And why is it the case that that is very much um, part, you know, very, very um, big part of, of the right, right-wing spectrum? If you look at the Conservative Party, these figures are increased. You know, almost half the popular Conservative Party voters believe that Tommy Robinson, the crazy man who, who's, who's seen as a far-right extremist, anti-Muslim, Islamophobe, who, who talks about Muslims all the time very negatively, one of the worst you know, people in this area when it comes to engaging with Muslims. Half the Conservative Party voters think he adds something new to the discussions about Muslims. They, they, they look up to him positively in that sense. Half of Conservative Party voters think like that. And you know, it's not even that. Young children, a third of young children, think Muslims are taking over England. We're not really. Let me, let me just ask a question. Just, what's the population of Muslims in the UK? And like, percentage-wise? Three million. Sorry? Three million. Three million, yeah. Okay, so about 5% of the population, give or take. The average Brit <coughs> thinks it's about more like 15%. They think that we're, we're, we're already a bigger proportion than, than we are. And they have this fear that we're taking over the country. And, and that's a challenge. And you have to see, so where is this coming from and what's our role in, in, in understanding how there are attitudes towards us? Why is there this idea of what, what, what people call Islamophobia? Islamophobia basically being a type of racism, in essence that is targeting us as Muslims and our, our, our expressions of Muslimness, our Muslim identity. Why is Islamophobia so, so prevalent in this society? So, what, what Bayan Sayyidah says has passed the dinner table test. Why, why is it so prevalent out there? One of the reasons is clearly because of the way that the media portrays Muslims all the time. And many of us will see this all the time. The way that Muslims are looked at from different sections of the media, whether it is a far right, whether, whether it's the right wing press, the tabloid, the Sun, the Mail, the Express, or whether it's actually mainstream, tab- mainstream newspapers like the Times or the Telegraph. And in all of these different sections of, 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 of media, there is a very, very great influence from those who have very negative views about Islam and Muslims. If you were to say, you said that um, Muslims are about 5% of the population, how, how, what percentage of journalists do you think are Muslim? Less than one. Less than one? 
Any other thoughts? More or less? Sorry? Point, decimal point. Decimal point, yeah. yeah. So it's about half a percent. So in other words, a tenth of, of the proportion we should be in the media. <coughs> so the, one of the biggest drivers of, 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 of hate against Muslims, according to Cambridge University, Lancaster University and others, is the way the, the media portrays Muslims. Yet Muslims are so underrepresented in the place where this influence is happening. And we look at ourselves and we think, are we doing what we should be doing as Muslim communities? Are we driving our, our communities in the right direction? Or are we becoming insular and not realizing, and historically being so insular, that it means that we aren't actually engaging in the way that we should? And so when you look at the, that landscape of the fact that influences and the, and, and the way that social attitudes are framed is such, and we're not participating in that in a reasonable sense, and the output is clear. It's not that if we, we aren't there, it's still going positively. It's not. We can see it. And that happens in both TV, in radio, in, in, in print. It's very clear. We know the individuals, even those who are Muslims, who are in these positions, in these newspapers, in the, uh, on the radio. There are people like Majid Nawaz, for example, as an individual. He, he says he's Muslim and he's on LBC, on the radio, and he's on Spy and other places. He wouldn't be considered um, someone who would be positive by m many Muslims. He'd be seen as a major detractor of the Muslim community. So even that 0.5% that we've talked about, many of those, if not a, a significant proportion of those, may not even be necessarily advocates of or, cons or even neutral arbiters when it comes to Muslims. Many of them have been pushed out by Muslim communities. And I think later on we'll talk about some of the challenges we have in Muslim communities and how journalism is supposed to find them and the challenges with that given the Islamophobic climate we live in. But it's not just the media which drives and frames this discussion. It's our leaders in society. <coughs> it's our politicians. And at the moment, as I said, the Conservative Party is the governing party in this country. It's the only major party which is refusing to adopt the definition of Islamophobia. It's not even willing to say, this is what Islamophobia is. And then, there are case after case of people who are members of the party, or people who are councils representing the party, or they're even members of parliament, or even cabinet ministers, where they have said Islamophobic things and nothing happens to them. In fact, it's so bad that, as you will all be aware, the London mayoral election only a couple of years ago, the entire party machinery, the whole of this party, which is now running our country, was willing to allow, if not even support and promote a candidate who was attacking Saadi Khan, not because he was a politician they disagreed with, but because he was Muslim. And not, it, it came to such a level that the prime minister at the time was David Cameron, lied about an imam, his name was Suleiman Ghani, in parliament and said he supports ISIS, IS, Islamic State, Daesh. He said he, the prime minister of our country said an imam supported Daesh. Why? Because he wanted to slur Sadiq Khan who had been seen with him. That's how bad it was. The prime minister of our country wanted to do that. He then had to retract later on. 
Not only the Prime Minister at the time, at that time, the Defence Secretary at the time made the exact same allegation, had to retract because of libel. And even more than that, the Prime Minister we have today, Theresa May, she put something out there and talked about how Sadiq Khan will not keep us safe, playing to that same stereotype, that trope about Muslims, that we are a threat to the society that we live in. So it goes up all the way to the top of our governing party in this country. And so what do we do when we see that the governing party has challenges when it comes to Islamophobia? What do we do when the media, which many sections of the media, which drive the narratives about Muslims, has such a view about who we are and our, our, our place in society? What do we do when the policies that the government institutes aren't even helpful or fair? We very clearly are probably aware of the fact that only a few weeks ago, in New Zealand, a mosque was attacked and 40 people, or up to 50 people, were killed. Because someone attacked them just because they are Muslim. And they used trays, and this person, in his, in his theory of the world, believed that Muslims were invading. And that's what he, why he wanted to, to attack and shoot these Muslims down. In this country, there are concerns that something like that can happen. All our mosques are very open. There is a gate at the front here, but as a whole, and on a Jummah, it's open. Anybody can walk in. There's no concern about security from our side. But there's also no security concern, it seems, from elements of the government. They, the government gives Jewish communities, at this moment in time, 14 million pounds a year to help with security. It gives all other faiths together 1.6 million pounds now after doubling how much it was. It used to be 0.8 million pounds a year. How does this happen where there is such disparity in the way that we are treated even by what is supposed to be a neutral government on this issue? And that is what I think should frame this discussion, should make us understand the necessity of our involvement in trying to change social attitude, change society as a whole, and, and influence our communities around us to make things better for everybody, but also because it directly affects us. And you may think, you know what, this doesn't affect us. Well, just imagine, if your name is Muhammad, you are three times less likely to be able to get a flat than if your name is Adam, or Adam, Adam. If your name is Muhammad, you might pay £100 extra for your car insurance, according to one study. Because these, the, the reality of Islamophobia is not just the verbal and physical assaults. It's not just the social attitudes. It is not just the policies that come from government. Islamophobia is the discrimination that is structural in our society. That means that if you're a Muslim man, you are 70% less likely to get certain types of jobs than if you're a white Christian. That is the challenge we face. That there is a structural issue, getting a house, getting a flat, by insurance, actually being involved in any element of society. There's discrimination throughout. That is what racism is, that's what Islamophobia is. And hopefully that sets the scene in terms of the challenges that we face, at least to some extent. And maybe going forward we can talk about some of the ideas of what we can do to try and mitigate the, the, the damage that is being caused.
Brilliant. Thank you very much. What an uh, excellent introduction. Thank you very much, McDuff, for that. <coughs> so what I'm going to do is I'm going to invite some um, feedback questions from, from the audience in a minute as well. And I also want to be able to ask you some questions. <coughs> we had a meeting maybe a couple of weeks ago where there was a co-edge-led um, media training course. Um, and McDard was the trainer for that. And uh, you grilled me quite well on that day. You put me through my paces, so I want to be able to do some of that back to you as well now to return the favour. Um, let's place our cards on the table. Let's be open and honest and say if we look at our Islamic literature and some of the language that is there, the kinds of ideals that Muslims have, and the way in which that we imagine the Mahdian revolution would be, isn't it fair to say that Muslims are a threat to the West or Islam proper is a threat to Western values, Western way of thinking. We have a plethora of beliefs that are in open contradiction to the values of a Western society, be it its liberal nature or be it um, like more of a very much moving towards atheism, the, the, you know, how much alcohol or promiscuity there is. In its reality, if Muslims were to practice the way Muslims wish to as their ideal system of living, isn't Islam a threat to Western civilization? Therefore, Muslims are also a threat. Are they not wrong to have that fear? No, I think that there's uh, there are two different things. One is in terms of how people perceive us. Uh, when the, the term threat is used in the, in the context of are you a threat to our society? The, the idea is, are they going to um, take us over and take over the country? In the reality of our values in terms of who we are, a big part of our values is about لَكُمْ دِينُكُمْ وَلِيَدِينَ To you is your faith, to me, to me is mine. And there is an element, of course, of, of that freedom of, of, of religion, which is so fundamental, that might say, yes, you may have a different value to what another Brit might have in terms of certain issues. But on the core ideas of what makes the society run in terms of everyone having a voice to be able to have their freedom of expression, the, the fact that everyone is able to have the freedom of their, of their religion to practice how they feel because of the way that you need to have um, tolerance and respect, in fact, not just tolerance, but respect of those who are different from one another. In fact, going further than that, you, you are, we believe as a whole um, in the idea of participating in a democratic system. These are all in, in today's society as we are right now. Given all of these things, the core ideas of being of, 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 of care, of respect, these are things that are actually very much shared. And when it comes to when they're saying they're a threat, their underlying idea of why they think Muslims are a threat, and this is what some of the surveys have looked into, show things like they think, some people think that Muslims are, are, groom, are, are grooming white girls and are, are going to um, sexually abuse them. They think that Muslims are going to blow the local communities up. They think that Muslims are so apart and different from many of the values that they hold. And on 90% of these types of things, on the core that matters, actually that's not the case. Now it may be the case that you're saying Islam as a whole is an is a, a evangelical faith. It's a, a faith that, that, that seeks to convert others into the value system that we believe in. And in that sense, it's quite interesting to know 
how that's working in the UK. I don't think that's a, a massive increase in, in any sense of the word. There is no current, at least, demographic or, or real threat to the society. Whether, what, whether Muslims may want there to be a threat is another question. I don't think that's the case, but there may be some who say, you know what, I want Muslims to take over this country and become... That is not a view of the majority of Muslims, nor is it the view that uh, when it comes to those who are different, who are not Muslim, it's not their view that it's, a, it's an ideological question in, in the way that you are stating. Fine. Their understanding of the word threat may be different. Let's park their understanding of threat. But you said one of our core principles is lakum dinakum waliyadeen. Yeah. But if you look at the prophetic model, did the prophet allow idol worship? Or did he break the idols and completely obliterate and ban that way of life? If the prophet was here today, would he be allowing alcohol or this level of promiscuity? So the reality is that they may be wrong in the type of threat. You know, we're not looking here to go blow ourselves up. But in the reality, if they understood the type of religion that we would want, it would be a threat to their way of life. So, for, for it depends. I, I don't think, that, well, this is an interesting theological discussion rather than necessarily a political one, but it's an interesting one nonetheless. But you started and by saying that we, they, the, 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 the statistics show, hmm. um, what, what do you say, it was like 50% of... Con- depends on which poll you look yeah. at. A third to 50%, depending on which poll you look at. I um, think that Islam Their, their, is their fear may be misguided okay. But if they actually understood the other side of it Wouldn't it be quite rational to fear Islam in its reality No because we're not, we're not a big enough community For that to be a concern And I don't think Muslims at this, in this country At this moment in time Are evangelical enough for that to be even a concern okay. Now if the you question if, you, if you're saying If these people should be concerned If there was a state run by Muslims well, at this moment in time, I'm not sure there aren't, are many states run by Muslims which we can consider to be Islamic in any sense. In fact, I'm, I'm sure you've seen it more than anyone else, that there are these league tables which look at how Islamic a country is. And the countries who come at the top of that list are countries like Ireland or Sweden and other countries like that. So if you were to say what is closest to Islam in today's world, because you, you, you talk about a theoretical idea, let's look at reality. In the, in it's the a very subjective today. definition of what Islam is and isn't, right? Uh, of course, to, to say Ireland is an Islamic, most Islamic it's country in the world, correct. it's a subjective definition well, of, of Islam. It is. So then we come to the question of demographics, yeah. and the demographics actually suggest that the white population, or let's say the indigenous population, is not reproducing at the same rate as non-indigenous populations and Muslim populations are actually reproducing at a higher level. Mm. And then you think about what happened in the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, and there was the the Muslim Brotherhood, (coughs) there was the Islamic Revolution of Iran. When you consider taking ourselves out of a vacuum of the last, say, decade, but you look back and see the patterns that are taking place across Europe, don't you feel Europeans have a right to be concerned that actually Muslims are invading, they are coming in higher numbers, we are going to be producing higher numbers. Imagine where this country would be in 50 years time, had there not been a right-wing insurgency in order to talk about the issue of immigration and the threat of Islam. If they just stayed silent, where would the direction go? So I think there are a few things, just before I get to them, the idea that white is necessarily indigenous is a, is a, is a difficult question because uh, when you look at some of the studies, they actually show that when you try and reformulate what, what a person looked like here, you know, uh, several, many, many uh, eons ago, 
they actually probably were more black than they were white. But putting that aside, um, when it comes to the idea of whether there is a demographic time bomb, as, as, as other people would, would say, and therefore Douglas Murray, he's an a, <laughs> associate director of the Henry Jackson Society, either currently or formally at least, um, talks about how it's important to make life harder for Muslims across Europe so that we can stop this demographic time bomb. And the Christchurch bomber talks about how um, Jews are at the top of this big conspiracy and what they want is they want to bring in all these Muslims into this country so they can exploit those Muslims and that can take over the country with them on the top. These types of conspiracy theories that the Christchurch bomber has. Yeah, so framing it very much in that sense, I don't think that type of invasion is even close to happening. I don't think there's any uh, realistic nature of it. I think the Muslim population in the UK is 5% in different, and across Europe the average is less than 5%. If you look at that and you're saying that is our reproduction rate going to mean that we're going to take over this country, not even close. In every single example in the West or any place where Muslims have not been a majority, whilst the reproduction rate might be higher when you're a first generation uh, community, when you start becoming second and third generation, actually the reproduction rate starts moving towards a mean which is the same as everybody else. That's just the reality in most of these different areas. You look in America, Muslims are about 1% of the population. You look at the reality of where Muslims have actually um, been there for a long period of time, actually it's very, very likely that the reproduction rate will be like very similar. The only way that you might have a situation where Muslims might be, say, 20% of the population in 100 years' time is if you were to have open borders in this country, mass immigration coming in to a very high level and you'd have significant levels of a reproduction neither of which is either historically likely to be to continue it may happen in one surge but not continuously for a hundred year period and it, and and reproduction never stays at a high rate it always tapers off to the mean when when you suddenly have uh, communities who are trying to for example live in this country I and mean, if you want a house with three kids it starts to get difficult so Realistically, none of these fundamental um, ideas that seem to be driving this concept of us invading demographically have any basis in fact whatsoever. And what we have to realize also is that as Muslims um, um, participate in a society, the reality is that these, these theoretical differences become far less. In 90% in of situations, you, you will have some which are exceptions, but there are always exceptions in, in a broader sense the core values become much more similar. In America, you see it very clearly. In, in the UK, you start seeing it. The ideas of freedom of religion, uh, the idea of freedom of belief, the idea that you shouldn't crush dissent because it's different. These types of things, are, uh, whilst uh, uh, an immigrant community initially may have this idea we need to be insular, we need to protect ourselves. When in the second and third generation, these types of ideas really, really move out and people become part of the society retain their, their own cultural heritage depending on how strongly it's kept, but as a whole really participate. And that's the direction of travel in any immigrant community across the globe. Thank you very much. I'd like to bring in questions, comments. Um, I saw Muntazir with your hand up earlier. Uh, you sure, okay, no problem. Please. Yeah, here about Islamophobia. Has it been more prevalent now since the last time to address Daesh issues, or has it been just gradually coming up? When you look at Islamophobia, how <coughs> do you look at different aspects as the revolution of Iran having played one global part impact, the destabilization of Syria, Iraq, Afghanistan, bringing because the media can say something about Islam and show other events around the world 
and the layman doesn't really understand, cannot discern the facts from the fiction. Yeah, so it's, it's all about a narrative. It, and, and that narrative has been built up through time. Those, that narrative has different manifestations. In, in, in 20 years ago, Muslims were actually, we, we all said we were black. Well, I didn't, I wasn't around at the time. But, um, you know, 30, well, actually I was, but 30, 40 <laughs> years ago, um, people, you know, anyone who was Asian didn't say we were brown, we were different. Everyone was black. There was an idea that it is white versus everybody else. And, and everybody gets discriminated against based on the color of their skin. Um, after the, well, the Rushdie affair, that's where things started changing. The Rushdie affair started creating a situation where Muslims, as Muslims, were, being, were seen as different in some way. Uh, because Muslim communities, uh, in particular certain elements of, of Brelvi communities, but also broadly actually, um, were very, very uh, hurt by the way that Salman Rushdie wrote his book and the way it was published in Patel, because of the way it talked about Prophet and so, because of that, there suddenly became an idea that Muslimness, being a Muslim, Muslim identity, was different in some senses from the color of your skin, only as the color of your skin. And you started seeing the reality or the, the formation of a Muslim populace in this country, who may have different perspectives on race, on issues to do with. Now, through time, the way that Muslims were then looked at started changing. Before then, it was more Muslims as, as a race, and Muslims as, as another, as not white, as outsiders. As that developed, it started becoming Muslims who have different viewpoints. Muslims who, who may get involved in different things who are different to us. Muslims who want to, later on, get involved in terrorism. Muslims who, more, more recently, get involved in child grooming. These are the tropes or these ideas that started being spread about all Muslims, because of what happened. Now, has Islamophobia increased? Well, it depends on the way you think about it. Racism per se, one could argue, has gone down in its, in its, um, in its very public sense. You don't have as often, although you still do, but you don't have as often people swearing at you on the street, which happened more often before. You don't as often have big signs saying no blacks, no Irish, no, no dogs, right? You don't have those types of signs anymore. So in that sense, things have got better. But and if you look at polling, which the government, for example, did and others have done, uh, do, are you happy with your local community in terms of the way that you engage with your local community in terms of Muslims, for example? Those numbers are quite good in terms of how, in your local area, how people feel. <clears throat> so there are lots of things that are positive that are happening. We, we have to say, look, we're not France, where overt Islamophobia from all elements of society is hugely problematic. We're not America, where the president of the country is, to, for all intents and purposes, talks about how Islam hates us and um, shares things from big far-right groups all the time who hate Muslims continuously and puts in, in, in the Secretary of State and different levels um, different levels, clear Islamophobes. We're not there. So I, we shouldn't over-egg something that's happening. But at the same time, it's real. And it's, it's a different type of Islamophobia. As, as I said, when you talk about Islamophobia, it's a type of racism. So it has four or five different elements. It's got the, the social attitudes that people have. It has the, um, the sort of polite dinner table racism, which is more the liberal racism that people might say. 
it, for example, if someone comes up to you and says, you're okay, but it's other people who are the problem. The good Muslim, bad Muslim narrative. That is something that actually as Shia communities we're very bad at. We try uh, very often, and we have too many of, of leaders in, in Shia communities who try and say, we're the good guys, it's the Sunnis who are the problem. It is atrociously bad. And, I, and we have leaders in our Shia communities who with government, with other people, play that to that narrative. Because we're okay. It's them who are the problem. Now, that good Muslim, bad Muslim narrative is one that the Islamophobes use all the time. Melanie Phillips used it just today in the Jewish Chronicle when she wrote a quite disgusting piece about Muslims. Because she says, oh, the marginalized of the world, they're very good, but it's the others who are bad. No, no. We have to be very careful about this good Muslim, bad Muslim dichotomy that they try and create about who we are. So there is that social attitudes, there's the, that, that, that conversation, that liberal racism. Then there is the actual media racism that happens, that we're aware of. And then you obviously have the hate crime that everyone's aware of, the verbal and the physical assault, and you have the societal and structural discrimination. All of those are present in ways that weren't there before. So is it getting better? Well, for some, you know, we have a mayor of London who's Muslim. We have Nadia Hussain who's fantastic out there in, in the public. We have Riyad Mahrez, the football player of the year a couple of years ago for Leicester City. I don't understand how they became top of the But in principle, how Muslims are definitely involved in different <coughs> sections of society which they weren't before. So that side of things is very good. But when it comes to structural issues, it's not good. When it comes to um, the reality of hate crime going up, it's not good. When it comes to the social attitude about Muslims, it's not good. So, is it better? For some people, it very much is. But for many of others, it really isn't. Does that help? Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Monty, um, do you want to follow up? And then maybe we can make the two points and we can see which one you want to uh, respond to first. If you, uh, if you allow me to go back a bit, it talks about um, freedom of thought mm. um, and how... As Muslims, one of the fundamentals that we have against Islamophobia is that it's our right to believe what we choose. Mm. Um, I want to make a point here where it, isn't it true that it doesn't take much research, you don't have to look much past our religion, our sect, in fact, our community even, to find that there's a lot of thought that is marginalized. Mm. Um, there's a lot of restriction on how you can and can't think, how you should and shouldn't think. So, how can we go out there and say that we're, we're against Islamophobia on the grounds that? we should have the right to choose what we believe in. Yeah. And then come into our centres, our mosques, our, our local areas, our councils, and say, OK, you can't think this way. This is the way you have to think. I think, I think, that's, I think that's a very, very good point. I think that's exactly what shouldn't happen. We shouldn't be uh, two-faced about this. We shouldn't be hypocritical about this. And we should be very, very open when, when our own communities do something wrong. Look, this is, look think about Shi'ism. No, start with the Prophet, At his time, they tried to crush him because he had a different faith, a different way of thinking. They tried to crush him. Do we think that was the right thing for them to do because they were the majority in that area? Of course not. Shiism as a whole, uh, uh, all the imams, the way that they were marginalized in each of the society other than the eighth imam for part of his time, and, and the imam alayhi salam when he was, like as a whole, our imams, uh, the, the whole of the Shia community has been oppressed as a minority faith throughout history, and minorities get attacked. Well, what we have to realize is, is that we are a minority within a minority within a minority. You know, we are one uh, within, you know, within Stanmore, for example, you know, one ethnic group, within one um, sect of Islam, within uh, the faith of Islam, 
which is a minority in this country. And the idea that we can be hypocritical about this, it, it's, it's very dangerous for us. We need to be, one of the things that we have to have, because, of, because we are Muslims, but, um, take this um, one of the things that we have to do as, as Muslims is retain integrity. <laughs> if, you're, if you're a Muslim, how can you not have the sincerity, the akhlaq of the Prophet How can you not realize that you can't say one thing in one place and another thing somewhere else? Of course you can frame <coughs> things in a different way, but you can't fundamentally have a different position just because you're, you're in your own community. Now, there are certain things that obviously you're not going to do in your local community that you would do in the public space. That's obvious. But you can't have a fundamental different way of thinking. And I, I agree entirely with the idea that you should not have a situation where you try and force people in one in, in There's your going to be a situation where you declare out of the lot where you are. You, well, dictators is a question. Look, if you have a moral, moral belief, you of course are going to try and encourage people to have it. But I mean, you can't say you're wrong for being. Well, you can say, okay, ideologically you might have a disagreement with somebody. Yeah, you, but you can't marginalize them or compile no, you, you, you have to be careful. I mean, look, if you're, if you're a Muslim in, in a community and someone wants to become an, um, an atheist, you may have a view that you don't think that that's okay. But the question is how you deal with it. The question is whether you position things in, 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 in a negative way or whether you are a big tent or a small tent approach to your faith. And I think when we look at um, ourselves and we look at our broader society and how we want to be treated, the golden rule is always one that we should always think about. It's a very Islamic principle. Treat others how you want to be treated yourself. This is not a complicated thing. But for us actually, and I think, you know, whatever you might be referring to, these are, these are real challenges and, and we have to be honest and open and for me I will always be someone who will stand up uh, you know, when our community does something wrong because if you don't then who are you? you're not really being who you should be you're not being uh, true to yourself you're not being true to your faith you're not being true to who what, what we want to be in society and I think this is I think actually what Jafar was saying earlier Sheikh Jafar was saying earlier um, is exactly this point the idea that you don't want to have a situation where others try and think of you and think that you are doing what, what the, the far right talk about all the time, that you're doing taqiyya in public. Anytime you are out there in public saying, oh, we should have freedom of religion, etc., you're doing taqiyya because you don't actually believe it. That's what these guys think. And for some people it's true. But for the vast, vast, vast majority, that's not the case. And we shouldn't. And we should work very hard to ensure that our public face is our private face. Hassan. Um, just a quick question, as you mentioned in your introduction as well, that there's an increase in far right uh, in a movement, including in the Conservative Party as well. Would you associate the rise in a you know, far right party because we Muslims are not playing an active role in, in politics or, you know, in, uh, we are not more, uh, like more interacting with the, the common, with other people as well? Of course, there is a big element here of how Muslim communities aren't involved in the society as much as we could or should be. As I said, you know, when it comes to journalists, we have the figures, we're a tenth of the, what, what the representative amount percentage should be. When it comes to politics, again, Muslim communities, if we say we're 5% of the population, we should have, let's say, 650 MPs, we should have um, about 30 odd MPs in this country. We have about 15, we have half of what we should have. Um, so of course we are, we are underrepresented within mainstream politics. Is that the driver?
for um, uh, the Islamophobia and the far right? Probably not the only driver. Um, I think that our participation and our normalization in the society, there, there are lots of things that, 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 that drive that. Part of it is, is an external narrative that happens. And again, if Muslims are there, that doesn't stop that narrative being created. What stops it is winning that battle and winning that discussion. But we don't put, for example, we don't put our resources into think tanks in this country. We don't put our resources into um, those who are fighting the ideological and cultural battle. Where, where do a lot of people see Muslims as the bad guy? On the film, cinema screen, on the TV, on the newspaper, with their local friends. In each one of these areas, we are underrepresented. So I don't think it's a one-fit solution in the sense of us being involved in politics. I think Muslim communities should be involved in everything, just because we're part of society. And, if we, and that will help. That won't stop things. You also then have to organize and support the organizations who are trying to make this change. But we as a whole are so insular, we look to ourselves more than we look to the broader narrative and how we've, we participate in that broader narrative. So of course we're going to have those challenges. So then let's return to something you said, <clears throat> and one of the answers you gave was that we internally are beginning to point fingers and otherize our own Muslim community. And you said, for example, some of the Shia community, including its leaders, will say things like, we're the good guys, they're the bad guys. How then do we actually go out identifying where some of the internal problems emanate from? So it's, it's a throwaway comment. We, we might have different terms, different labels, the Salafiya, the Wahhabiya, the Saudis, right? And it's very easy for us to be able to point, for example, at the Saudi clan and say they are the source theologically, financially, of a lot of the types of terrorism that is done in the name of Islam. Are you then saying we shouldn't point where we think ideologically and financially terrorism is coming from, extremism is coming from? How then do you want us to tackle this? No, no. We, honesty, integrity is the most important thing in all of this. It's not about, um, it's not about uh, holding back from the facts. It's about following the evidence. Um, it is too simplistic. It is too simplistic to say um, Muslims are the problem. It is too simplistic to say Sunnis are the problem. It is too simplistic. Uh, sorry, these are all wrong. So it's not as simplistic. It's wrong to say Muslims are the problem. Is it, is it wrong. wrong to say the Saudi royal family, the clan, is the source of the problem? Is it wrong to no, say that? No, it is a source of a problem. Okay. I mean, is, the, 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 it's a source. Is it wrong then to say no, it's a source? Okay. But then I'm pointing but to a certain group of people. No, but let me, let, this is very important though. If you look at, for example, Regent's Park Mosque in this country, <coughs> Saudi funded primarily, Iran actually partially funded as well, but it's Saudi funded mosque, um, Saudi involvement till today, to, to, many, to, to, to a large extent, that wouldn't be considered to be a terrorist mosque in any sense. We have to be very careful about the implications. Why do we not like it when people say Muslims are terrorists? We don't like it because it incorporates us and we're not part of it. Well, what do you think if you're, if you're part of a mosque and you go to a mosque which is partially Saudi funded, how would you like it if you're considered to be a potential terrorist? You wouldn't. And it's not right. We have to be very careful about saying this, this is the biggest thing that's driving it. If we, if we start trying to understand where terrorism comes from, Elements of it, in the UK at least, um, may come from Saudi to some extent, but 
every single one of the terrorists that have taken place in the UK, the idea that Saudi is driving it is, is just nonsensical. When it comes to the Middle East, we've got a different question altogether. In the UK, we've had Salafis in this country for decades. They haven't bombed stuff. They haven't done anything when but it comes to violence. No problem, but then, my God, sorry, they're the good Salafis. What well, about the bad, bad Salafis? Salafis. <laughs> well, they're, they're the good Muslims and the bad Muslims. That's not the case. So the, the key point is we care about the violence that emanates regardless of where it comes from. The Salafis, we may have an ideological issue because of the way they think about Muslims or, or Shias, for example. And, and Salafis in other parts of the world may be more inherently violent. I don't know. But in this country, historically, Salafis have not been violent in any sense of the word. Um, and, and even though we may have significant differences of opinion on so many different things, the idea that they are necessarily the problem is, is just not true. Also, if you look at, for example, Brelvi communities, they have been, you know, uh, elements of Brelvi communities have been involved in, in massacres in, 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 in Pakistan. In here, in the UK, uh, uh, it was someone from a Sunni Brelvi background, a, a different group of, uh, from the Sunni communities, who, who attacked someone in Scotland and, and killed them because they thought that they were... Um, different when it comes to the Prophet from an Ahmadiyya community. The idea that there are actually examples of Shia individuals who have attacked mosques because so, they think they're Sunni. So follow the facts, so follow the specifics. Follow the specifics and talk about what it is. If, if, if we have direct evidence that says this is what's causing the violence, cause it, call it out. But if we don't and we are making generalizations, we are falling into the same trap that others have been doing when it comes to Muslim communities more generally. So returning to the question that we had previously to you about the door being opened and David Cameron's act of allowing a referendum after what he'd done for a couple of years, going to Europe, um, trying to negotiate a deal which for whatever reason didn't come to fruition. He then allows a referendum to take place where at least statistically we could say that there was a, a, a bubbling up of anti-European um, uh, ideals. So what we've seen since that, is, well, well, let's start with the, this, this, this point. Would you accept that the act that Cameron did, the Tory party did, was an appeal to the far right in the hope that it could bring far right voters back into the Conservative Party? By opening that door, it then normalized the types of narratives and mixed these two groups into one. If that's the case, if opening the door with this Brexit vote was for the purpose of bringing far-right voters back into a Conservative Party that may seem more attentive to the needs of the far-right, to what extent then can you actually label the present government a far-right government? Okay, so... I said it I wouldn't be easy. I was going to put I you... Know, to I don't find it's difficult. I just... Uh, I, I think it's... Uh, can I not say, if you're going to appeal to people of the far-right... And ultimately now, there is no difference between their thinking. Why can I not Wait, say that the, the current government is a far-right party? There's an element of um, internal party management, which I think was a bigger driver than an appeal to the far-right. So what, what I mean by that is the Conservative Party um, has struggled to win a majority in any election for decades, since the time of 1992. It just won a, a, a majority in, in, in two, just after um, in 2015. But for that period, for a couple of decades, the Conservative Party was not able to win even a majority in this country. Is that because of just demographics are changing? And yeah, it just wasn't appealing y to a, a younger A younger community. I mean, as a whole, young people were primarily voting more Labour. Um, and that's historically always been true because the young people 
are more idealistic and want to help and, and, and support others in a in a purest sense. Whereas I think older people, when you become older, some people start thinking about their own families. And, and there's and, and a Pew the research that came out a couple of months ago that disagrees with that. By the way, that says actually once you start on the political trend, even as you grow older, you will more remain likely. on that trend. Anyway. But and it depends on what age you come up to. And the, the, for example, the, the um, there are lots of people who, and it depends on which age, which era you're in. So in the 60s sure. and 70s is very different to, to, to young people compared to when they were born in the 80s, 90s, or noughties and stuff. Um, but yeah, putting that aside for a second, I, I think it would be wrong to consider either this government to be a far-right party or even um, necessarily explicitly... Well, what's the um, definition of far-right? It, it's using violence, it's scapegoating... Yeah, but I don't think this government um, is using violence in that sense. Um, it's scapegoats it to... um, migrant communities, it's it's marginalising certain communities, and you're talking about systemic racism being peddled, systemic Islamophobia being peddled. Yep. Now, it may not have violence on its own people, but it's certainly exporting violence to the Middle East mm -hmm. through its weapon sales. Those are the hallmarks. Now, in a globalised society, that's the those features are the features of a far-right movement. Why is it that you want... I don't think I'd call it a far... Look, the, the, the different... To, to retain an understanding of, like, of what the far-right are and the way that they uh, specifically target Muslims for the purposes of their own supremacy and the white supremacy that they have, that's not what this government is doing. Um, oh my God! I'm coming here sounding like I'm a, an apologist for the Conservative Party, uh, which is not. I said exactly I'm going to make it easy. I want you to. The Conservative Party itself clearly has serious challenges. Uh, I, you know, the idea of arms sales to, to to Saudi Arabia and actually more than arms sales, actually supporting and training Saudi fighter jets and the way that it works. I think someone came out a couple of weeks ago or was a month ago mm -hmm. who said that no Saudi flights would no, no longer be able to even fly into Yemen and, and drop any bombs if they weren't British uh, supporters and training people on the ground here in Saudi Arabia and in Yemen helping and supporting, sorry, in Saudi Arabia, helping them. So, I mean, the foreign policy ideas of, of this government uh, historically and, 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 and currently are hugely problematic in every sense of the word. But you, that's not far right. That's just right-wing and um, has a different, it could be neoconservative, it could be, you could use a lot of ideological words for it. I wouldn't call that far-right. That's foreign policy. Foreign policy has different hues and different perspectives and different um, wrong perspectives, but I wouldn't call that far-right. I think far-right is always historically and currently understood to be uh, a situation where you have this idea of white supremacy, the idea that as white people, we are better than, than, than the other, the non-white person. And, and, and the fact that all of those of other faiths or, or, are, are threats to us in some way. That's not what this government inherently is doing. There is structural racism. That doesn't mean that you're, they're peddling explicitly this racism. Almost you could argue that there are challenges of Islamophobia in the party, but I wouldn't call many of the individuals or, or most of the individuals within the Conservative Party Islamophobes at all. I would consider many of them to be inherently not bad people um, and, and therefore I can't put them in the, with, with the category of the far right. Elements, individuals... We got McDard to defend the Conservative Party and I think <laughs> that, that's a moment of history right there. Thank you Noting very much. Noting the challenges. Really Noting the part. challenges. Is there anyone else I can write to bring in? Who is there someone to ask a question? Now, uh, speaking about this, the thing is at the moment the Jewish people and the media are controlled by them. They have got plenty of money, and they have got an idea of uh, an interest in the Middle East. Now, these are the facts. And all the uh, true 
reporting comes to them and they are filtering. So this is we can't avoid. At the same time, if a Saudi, for example, the, all the Saudis are not paid, all the Wahhabi are not paid. But if you have uh, kept a gun in your head, you want money or you want debt, so you will do exactly to that. So that is, we know at the back of our mind that this is whose interest it is being played upon. Forget about that. Now, we are very weak in the sense that uh, our Islamic values is that, that we should treat others nicely and everything, and we are protecting them and, and nice. And we also, uh, history-wise, if you see by Amr and all, we're accommodating Jewish and Christian in the same, in the land of Muslim. But at the same time, we need to have a think tank or a group of in every day Muslim uh, to think where these sources are coming. Find out the cause of it. Like Jewish people are, are anybody attacking Jewish, their group is going to test that one. Why you are saying like that? Where is your source? Now, in this way, we have to analyze and see what is the real cause of this thing. And then we have to act. We are not, as you are saying, we are insulating ourselves and looking backward. We have to say and be even our community should have a kind of a group like you or something and also spread this group to Sunni brothers, to others, they should have. And as a group, all together, if you are facing, then you can, uh, uh, you can uh, face the, your uh, people. So does something so, like that exist in so the community? Well, firstly, firstly, it's worth just challenging the initial point. I mean, the, the idea that Jewish, Jewish communities and Jews control the media, it's just, it, it's, a, it's not true. We need to be very careful about what we say and how we say it. And, and, and look, there are many people of all faiths within the media. There are also many people from all faiths within our society in different ways. It is the case that Jewish communities are very organized. Uh, and the Board of Deputies, the umbrella body of Jewish communities, is a, is a well-funded body that is able to um, uh, stand up for its community very effectively. Um, I, I would, I think, it is wrong, and 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 actually, you know, it's just not based in fact, and and in every sense, not right to think about things in this conspiratorial way that they are these these Jews controlled. Me. I mean, that's just not useful. It's not valuable, and it's wrong. What is what we should be thinking about is our communities. Let's not. I think sometimes we try and find a way to explain away um, the challenges that we face by almost saying that something else, some conspiracy is happening that, that, that stops us from being who we are. Let's move, let, that, we have to look at ourselves. I mean, when it comes to um, uh, our Islamic uh, uh, ideals, um, it, we have to think about what are we doing ourselves? And, and there are, we do have this exact type of body as well. You talk about the fact that we should have, you know, myself and others working together with, with our Sunni brothers and sisters. That's exactly what we do. So this... Are you referring to the Muslim, Muslim Council of Britain? Britain. Yeah. We, we have, in every... The way that things should work and do work is when you have a mosque, you care about your local mosque, but your mosque will also contribute to a broader body. That's what Coage is, for example. And then Coage fits into some other uh, umbrella. Why? Because by feeding into a bigger umbrella, you're able to have greater impact. The exact same thing is happening in this country. 500 mosques and, and, and uh, schools and others, and over 500, affiliate themselves to the Muslim Council of Britain. 
which does the exact same thing that you're talking about. You say, for example, when someone says something bad, if Jewish communities stand up and they'll say it's not right. Well, that's exactly what Muslim communities do right now. We just happen not to be involved. I mean, like, for example, Stanmore has chosen not to be a direct affiliate of the Muslim Council of Britain. I think that's a wrong decision by the Stanmore community. But Stanmore is part of the Council of European Jamaats, and Council of European Jamaats is an affiliate to the Muslim Council of Britain. So, that, you know, the, the, everyone has different, but that's a, it's an indirect affiliate to the Muslim Council of Britain. So even in that situation, there is an indirect affiliation to the Muslim Council of Britain. Because Stanmore is part of college, and college is part of the MCB. Now, when you have a body like that, that's exactly what the Muslim Council of Britain does. I do that for the Muslim Council of Britain. I'm a spokesperson for the Muslim Council of Britain. So this is a, not a, a body just for Shias, not a body just for Sunnis. It's a body for Muslim communities. And I, sta and I stand for that body, not, not as a Shia, not as a, a, a person from a, with a Khoja background, but as a Muslim, I stand up for those communities. And when, for example, someone says something negative about Muslims, you will see me responding. Whether directly, whether through an article in a national newspaper, whether through highlighting the challenge and saying that person should be sacked. Yesterday is an example. There was someone in um, uh, a, a, an advisor to the government just yesterday who was found to be saying uh, very Islamophobic things. We stood up amongst other people of other faiths as well and said this is unacceptable. That person was sacked within, within hours. So, you know, people can say the Muslim communities don't do anything. We should not have this idea of hopelessness. We should not have this idea of conspiratorial thinking that others are behind everything. We should look at ourselves. We should say, what are we doing as Muslims to change our own community? Because if we don't do that, the Quranic verse, which um, Sheikh Jafar will probably remember better quicker than me, um, about... Uh, have, Allah Allah you don't change anyone until you change yourselves. And we are not changing ourselves. So now, we want to produce, not to put too much of an ego into Miqdad, but we want to produce here in this community 10 Miqdad verses. We want to produce um, 10 Medi Hassans and so on and so forth. Now what we, behind the scenes, um, with the, the resident alim, the managing <coughs> committee, so on and so forth, we're starting to look at an overarching education strategy from cradle to grave. And we're creating certain KPIs for ourselves. And amongst those KPIs, we want to be able to say, we want to be able to produce journalists from the community, people who could go into uh, politics from the community and so on and so forth. What advice then would you give us strategically, I'm talking about as an education policy, to be able to provide the tools, the training, um, you know, the, the pathways to be able to groom um, you know, our community to be able to produce at that level. So, I mean, we've got resources here. We've got, you know, we actually have three and a half thousand members. We have 6,000 people in the community yeah. that we feed into. How do we strategically create 10 more McDads? It's not, but yeah. So it, the question is, how do we get people from the community to, to care about an issue um, and to focus and prioritize it uh, and to think, you know, structurally in an open way? I think very many of us, at least my, my own, I talk to myself more than I talk to anyone else. You know, many of, you know our, our background is one of insularness, of caring about ourselves first. And that's fine. You know, you care about yourselves, your family, your community. But we have to start thinking about being confident members of the society we live in. 
We have to recognize that we are not anymore worried about losing our faith because we engage with a Christian on the, and talk to a Christian on the street. That's not a concern for our next generation. It's just not a concern. And we shouldn't pretend and act as if it was. If we structurally change the way we think about these things and start becoming confident members of the society and rather than insular, concerned about how we're going to be influenced by others, rather, rather instead we are confident in our own faith and actually can there be there influencing the society that we live in in a positive way. When we have that structural mindset, that is the biggest thing that needs to happen. And then the second thing in, in parallel to that is educational general achievement. What we want is to have more people going to the top universities and more people going to the top um, schools, getting involved in the top professions of all types. It's about diversity in all of these areas. Yes, there can be a strategic element saying, look, our communities have historically been underrepresented in certain areas. Let's encourage people to get involved in certain places by showing them the value of them. Yeah, of course we should do that. We should make sure that we see, look, you can influence the future. We also have to recognize, you know, being a journalist doesn't pay fantastically well. We have to recognize that being involved in politics is not easy and has many challenges associated with it in terms of uh, getting involved in, and standing up for your Nigel Farage seems to be doing all right out of it. Nigel Farage seems to be doing all right out of it. He turns up once a, a year to... But he's a banker by profession. He's made millions from, I don't, I don't know, but he's made a significant sum of money from his banking profession. So I, I, all I'm saying is when you are at the top of your field in whatever field it is, when you are striving for excellence in every, every way possible, and when you have an open mindset in the way that you think, these types of ideas and people will automatically come out. But you can work and you can strategically plan in specific areas. You can show inspiration as to where you can get to. You can show how you can change society Islamically as an Islamic driver and how you can help the wider society because it's the right thing to I'd do. I'd like to think that this is part of that first element of trying to create a, an awareness and an enthusiasm for our external world living. So we've got about 10 minutes left. Um, anyone else would like to, to ask some questions? We've got two here. Yeah, so I want to put myself. Um, I just, uh, an observation that um, as, as Muslims, um, we are very apologetic about our faith. Um, we would not come out proudly to talk about our faith in public. Like what? What do you mean in your sense? Uh, just generally. For example, you're heading for the month of fasting. Yeah. Let's yeah. have a store in town with literature about the benefits of fasting, why we do it, the historical perspective of it. And we're not trying to sort of uh, self-pity ourselves and saying, oh gosh, we'll have to be fasting for 18 hours, etc. None of that. This, this is a benefit that we fully embrace the physical, the spiritual benefits of it. Um, I'll give you a small example. Um, I live in a small place, 30 miles away from here, and um, we do it three or four times in the year, where all of us, the Sunnis and the Shias come together, and we have a store in the, in the market town. And we talk to the public about our beliefs, and um, they very much appreciate it. And they said, where are you guys? You know, we hear from the media, and we're not getting the truth. We would like people to come and talk to us. So they touch on various aspects. We know we're talking about fasting, but they'll move into grooming. They'll talk about Islamophobia. They'll talk about violence in different parts of the world. And it's nice exchange of views, not to get excited, not to get very heated up, but just 
thought-provoking views. So again, in the training of the media, we talk about is how to answer questions, members of the public. They are very thirsty for knowledge. They're very thirsty for faith. And just a couple of months back, we're the first white person actually convert to Islam. They said, I never knew all that you're telling me about. So coming to the point, I think we're very apologetic. You need to come out. You need to be well equipped about knowledge on Islam and talk to people about it. I, I think that's tr true. I mean, being confident in who we are is a vital part of the next, the next generation. We need to be comfortable with our faith, and, and I think sometimes we have to, to look at our own, you know, Madras Sisters, this is what we do. Are we training our young children to be confident in, in our faith in, in every way, in terms of being able to take these challenges in, in, in a public setting? These are all difficult challenges. There's no easy answer to this. But the idea of us being confident members of the society that can contribute to the society that we live in is a vital part. And it's not just about the stalls. I think stalls, is, 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 some people will, will, will work. Other people, I mean, when I see some of these stalls out there, actually, I, I, I come, sometimes avoid them. So, like, some people will have different views on, on what works and everything works differently. Some people have these huggy bears and they try and hug you because they, they want to show how much they care. I, you know, some people will give roses, roses at the time of uh, the Prophet's um, um, uh, Wilad. At, uh, at that time, they, they'll, give, they'll, they'll give roses out. There are lots of different ways. We have Visit My Mosque, which I think uh, Stamol did last year, for example, where, where people come into your mosque and you invite people in. We have Iftar, uh, probably during Ramadan, normally there's an Iftar here and, and, and a mosque across the country where you invite and encourage people to come in. But it's not just about inviting them to come in. We have to go out as well. We have to go into our local churches, our local synagogues, our local... So we can participate. It's not just about everyone coming to you. It's about re recognizing the value that we can gain from the society and what we can give to the society. And I believe that will only happen through confidence. Through us recognizing we, we are not all inward looking. And so of course we have to think about our community. It's, I mean, we live in a community. Of course we have to strengthen our community. How can we not do that? Well, we can do that already now. We're good at that. Let's recognize we are strong as Muslim communities, we can stand up for ourselves, we can be in the wider society, and we should be confident in doing so. So two points just to build off this. We've got Professor David Voas from University of Sussex, and he's actually showing us some statistics that say that across the West, um, faith, cyclically, is being lost. When they <clears throat> pull certain statistics, they're able to show that each generation is identifying themselves as less faithful or less religious than their parents, which means the trend is going like this, not going like this. Also, I've noticed here in our communities that because of rampant Islamophobia, what you often refer to as systemic Islamophobia, some of our Muslims are very, they don't have the confidence. Um, we had an incident, we were being told about an incident in the madrasa recently, where uh, there was an RE class and they were teaching about the Adhan and they were said Allahu Akbar and the kids went boom because they connect takbir Allahu Akbar with suicide bombs so now as a result even our own community members the kids that don't have faith don't have confidence in their religion to be able to express it based on the work that you're doing again how would you recommend us to be able to instill that confidence in our youth you must see it, I mean, across MCB and the kinds of conversation that you're having. But you stated we're supposed to feed in. What, what, would you what would your recommendations be here, seeing it from a bird's eye view, about dealing with faith, tabligh, da'wah, confidence building? So, firstly, 
being in society and being involved in society isn't necessarily for the purpose of da'wah. Da'wah, you know, people may become Muslim when they see who you are through your behavior. I mean, the, 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 um, the, most, the highest um, form of da'wah in many senses is, 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 is the akhlaq that we do. And I, I keep on forgetting the, the Arabic for that. It's been a, a long time. What is it? In... Um, Yes, but there is another. Uh, never mind. That's fine. Um, in, in principle, the idea of your, your, your one of your most um, um, best ways of engaging broader society is by your akhlaq and the way that you work. It doesn't have to be explicit da'wah, it can very often be who you are. And it's not for the purpose of da'wah necessarily. And what does da'wah mean in itself? It's not necessarily just about complicating your faith, it's also about showing who you are and what you're not. <coughs> But in terms of how you, how we as a society need to be thinking about these things when it comes to young children, we need them to, we need our young children to understand our faith, not just in terms of how our parents were taught. We need to understand our faith in the way that we live today. We need to understand our faith in the sense of the challenges that are there in the society today. How many of the young children will actually understand why people think of Muslims as X, Y, or Z? They, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe they're very good. But my understanding is, at least nationally, that's not fantastic. Our gener- in fact, people of our generation, adults, people who, who have been involved in the last 10, 20 years have been seeing this, struggle to find examples to be able to answer basic questions. And I'm talking about basic questions, either about our faith, all basic questions about the society that we live in and how that impacts us. And I think that until and unless we are stronger and confident about who we are, how can we go out there? We're not going to be very good at going out there. We need to build our strength in terms of our own faith. We need to make sure that we are much stronger and understand our faith better than we currently do. Not just in terms of, this is exactly how I do wudu. We need to know how to do wudu. It's a very important part, otherwise we can't pray. It's a, a vital. But that is, that is a small element of what it is to be a Muslim in the society we live in. It's an important element. It should not be stopped. But this broader understanding of being a Muslim in, this, in the society and what that means and the challenges it faces. Look, even simple things like um, being able, fasting at work. Fasting at school. These are not difficult questions, but these are questions that people are finding more and more difficult. We don't even have strong answers for. And part of those challenges are are scholarly questions, but many of those challenges are just ourselves. Our own lack of confidence in what we do and what we believe. And that needs to change. Um, When other minorities like Jews or people of colour first started rising in Western society, so becoming lawyers and doctors and politicians, um, and they therefore posed a sort of threat to your Caucasian Western society. Um, they were very much discriminated against uh, in the past, and now once they're established, they're still discrim- discriminated against. Um, doesn't that create sort of an element of futility in fighting your Islamophobia, because there will always be an element of um, discrimination against us minorities? There will always be discrimination, but we have seen that certain elements of discrimination through time have gone down. 
you will rarely, it will not be acceptable for someone to say certain things about Muslims directly in front of you in the way that it was 20, 30 years ago. You wouldn't be able to, 20, 30 years ago, you'd probably get away with saying the N-word. Now, if you were to use the N-word, you'd be, you would never be able to have a political job in the future. You wouldn't be able to have probably any um, job in media except if you were in a far-right paper or a right-wing paper, uh, some of them. But as a whole, there are understands and norms of, of what is acceptable and what is not. I don't think it's the case that those norms are not applicable necessarily to Muslims. I think that sometimes there's a misunderstanding when it comes to what is racism. Sometimes people think, you know, it's fine to be discrimination, discriminate against Muslims because, um, and to have to be Islamophobic because I'm only criticizing Islam, I'm not criticizing Muslims. That's the kind of nonsense that people say. But that's not true, that's not what they're doing. Um, and sometimes it needs people to explain this and to publicly um, stand up against it. And sometimes it works. Is it going to solve everything? No, it's not. But the way that um, some people talk about this is that Irish people in the 60s, 70s, maybe 80s even, were very, very discriminated against. More than anyone else. In the 90s, 2000s, and to, to be honest, up till today, black people are very much discriminated against. But if you talk about Irish people now, I mean, there is an element of anti-Catholicism and anti-Irish attitudes within certain sections, but as a whole, it's not a big problem in society. Things do change. Things do move on. Is it completely gone? No, but it's far better. And part of that is due to structural things that have changed, and peace process and all this kind of stuff. And part of it is because society moves on to another. There are the bogeyman who is going to be blamed for the problems that are faced. And we are the current biggest bogeyman, or men, or women, or society. Um, I don't think that will last forever. And it's up to us as, society, as, as Muslims, firstly, to stand up against discrimination against whoever it is. And also to tackle Islamophobia when it impacts us, but also recognize that when, when that Islamophobia moves to someone else, when that bogeyman moves to someone else, we should be there and stand beside them as well. Because if we don't, we're going to be in the same situation. And we have to realize that that element of discrimination, where it happens between us in our own communities, when it happens between us in our own society, we have to stand up against it wherever it is. First they came for the Jews. And then second they came, I didn't stand up for them, and then no one was left, and then they came for me. Not in Nimola, apparently. So my last question, and I'm going to propose to you that we all here should be joining the Conservative Party. Give you my rationale behind it. If you look at someone like uh, Roger Scruton, who's a leading English political philosopher and writes extensively on the history of conservative values, if you look at traditional conservative values, they are things like um, family values, they are things like upholding positive tradition. And to my mind, the Conservative Party has departed from a lot of that. And certain, there are certain ways to make a measurement and a barometer of that. So, for example, the issue around um, uh, the new um, uh, RSE syllabus that were coming in from um, September 2020 or <clears throat> you know some of the things around racism in the community or you know moving away from um, uh, family rights and so on and so forth so if we want to bring the conservative 
firstly, it should be that we would be rep we would identify ourselves with the Conservative Party more than the Labour Party traditionally. But it's moving away from that. And in order for us to be able to bring the Conservative Party away from Islamophobia, away from racism, away from uh, an appeal towards the far right, and so on, we should be joining the Conservative Party. Would you say, if you had to pick one right now, and you said our youth, our community should be joining sides with one, promoting one, should it be going for the Green Party? Should it be going for the Conservative Party? Should it be going for the Labour Party? Where would you want us to be sitting in the political spectrum? I don't think we should be... Uh, or Muslim communities should be beholden to any party. I don't think Muslim communities should all be voting one way. I don't think Muslim communities um, uh, even believe or uh, align with any one party in everything, in any sense. In fact, I believe Muslim communities themselves are so far and so more, so much more diverse than 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 that than that that even to be po potentially possible. You have Muslims who will, who will rightly right or wrongly prioritize education and health for everyone far more than they prioritize other issues. And for them, maybe the Labour Party might be the most important place. There may be others who, who prioritize the idea that we are Khulafa on this earth and therefore um, prioritize environment more than anything else. For them, the, the Green Party might be the right solution. There might be others who, who believe strongly in the ideas of, um, of low tax and the idea that the government should not be involved in our daily lives. And for that, the Conservative Party might be the best place for them. What I think is most important is that as Muslims, we choose our party based on the political choices that we all make, not based on the discrimination and the fact that you consider one party to be Islamophobic. And the idea necessarily that because you are Muslim, you are necessarily going to be more right-wing on family values, is just not necessarily true. Even the idea that you're going to be necessarily more left-wing when it comes to health and education is not necessarily true. There'll be different perspectives. The idea of Islam necessarily, and this is a, a, a thing that, that I think is, is potentially um, a difference of opinion that I might have with others. The idea that Islam necessarily says, this is how you run the society by putting this tax rate at 43% and this tax rate at 30%, I think is just not true. We as, when it comes to the implementation of society, this is where we, we have multiple views and multiple ideas as to how to run the society. And those views will depend on your background, will depend on your viewpoint, and, and those views need to flourish. And through time, the right thing will come. It, it, there are some people who say, no, Islam says that we need to have a healthcare system which is open for everyone. Islam says that you need to have no government involvement in, in our society. This is a view of what Islam says. I'll give you 10 scholars who say the opposite. And we'll find 50 scholars who say another thing. Don't go down that route. The, when it comes to the political choices that are made, make that choice on politics in a theoretical world. But obviously... If you think one party is Islamophobic, if you think there's a challenge of inherently being um, who you are and being able to manifest yourself as a Muslim in society because of one party, then of course you're going to change your vote and not vote for that party. But I w inherently, I want people to be voting based on the politics, based on what they believe, and, they will, and based on the prioritization of what they think is most important. Because there will never be a party which, which does everything for you. But what matters is how can we as Muslim communities, get involved in all sections and all parties and all society 
based on who we are and what we believe, not based on discrimination or, or Islamophobia. Thank you very much, Baghdad. Thank you to... Uh, just add a final comment. Isn't there a problem with that, though? Because historically, Britain has been a bipartite society, uh, a political system. Yeah. So unless you go Labour or you go Conservative, your voice is not really going to be heard. You're going to be in a minority within a minority party. Yeah. So unless you start infiltrating, whether it's the Conservative Party, and start showing you're a clerk within the Conservative Party that they, don't, they shouldn't be an Islamophobic party, you're not going to make a difference. Yeah by not actually subscribing to one of the two main parties? I, I think that people, as I, I said, if, if you, for those who believe, and there are many who believe in um, government non-intervention, who believe in certain social and family views, who have certain views when it comes to how the economy should work, who are inherently believe and, and prioritize those over um, certain other things or believe that the, the way to run the healthcare system is a less, uh, is a further, you know, is not so government interventionist, for example, and they may feel the Conservative Party politically is the right home for them. For those people, I would say join the parties, join, get involved, um, fight for what's right in, in, in those parties. I, definitely. I, I, I don't hold back. I, I have, I know people who are Conservative Party members. I know people who are very involved in the Conservative Party, who have taken very public stands in the Conservative Party. I know people who are, who, who are part of the, the, the system when it comes to the Conservative Party. I, I wouldn't say quit or leave. I'd say fight for what you believe in. Stand up for anti-discrimination. Get more people on side when it comes to standing up against Islamophobia. I, I don't believe that you should not um, get involved in, 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 in the Conservative Party. If those are the beliefs you, you have and hold, you should get involved and stand up and change for things. Whether you necessarily would want to, those individuals to, to be running the country right now, that's another question. That's a political question that you might have to help. Do you prioritize Islamophobia, for example, more than um, other issues? And that's a question that you have to answer for yourself. But all I would say is that right now, Islamophobia is a big concern. And we need to make sure that any party, wherever they are, they tackle it. And we should be involved to make sure that happens. Thank you very much, Mr. In addition to what he just said, I think before we, we, we go any further, we should first be more interactive with our local areas. We should be more visible there before we get time going to any parties or any, any other. Because you see, what's happening is we are not very active in where we are. Like, for example, if you're staying in the stem of, for example, then, then maybe our residents are situated there. And, you know, we should be actively engaging with that, you know. Uh, that authority or that uh, organization so should always be involved in our society and, and try and help our society in every way we can. Thank you very much, Bigdad. Thank you very much to all of you for attending this evening. This has been going out, um, or we we'll sent out, inshallah, on the Hujjat podcast. I would like to recommend to everyone to subscribe, to share it, so that these discussions can get further within our own community, but also meet the ears of others from outside our community as well. So once again, thank you very much to Al-Hadi Boys for organizing this program. Thank you to Mikdad for taking time out of his busy schedule to come sit down and give us the breadth of his wisdom and to all of you as well this evening. Thank you to our very own Sheikh Shafi My honor. also taking his time to come and facilitate this discussion, which I'm sure we will benefit from. Yeah. If we can end with Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ali Muhammad wa ajjil farajuhum.